What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this exciting video, I show you a bunch of new dividend payout records for my stock portfolio as a way to inspire and motivate you to keep investing. I'm also going to tell you my thoughts about the recent British American tobacco news, and I'll tell you what I think 2024 has in store for the market, along with we'll share what a bunch of professionals think will happen, so I encourage you to watch this entire video. And to kick things off, I wanted to share this great Teddy Roosevelt quote that goes, if we compare ourselves to others, we may be left with feelings of inferiority or superiority, and neither creates an emotionally healthy human being. My point in sharing that quote is to reinforce my belief that you shouldn't compare your dividend portfolio to mine or anyone else's. I don't want anyone to feel bad about their portfolio, and the reality is that what I've accomplished shouldn't impact you at all, so just focus on going on a good financial path for yourself and don't waste your time feeling envious. I can pretty much guarantee that if you live frugally and you invest intelligently over a long period of time, then you'll end up in a much better financial spot than if you hadn't done that. I've been investing for about 30 years now, and you can watch other videos on my channel if you want to learn about my background and how I built up my portfolio to this point, but I don't want to repeat all that again. Okay, let's quickly review my accounts in Fidelity, and then I'll show you some more interesting details of my total dividend portfolio in my spreadsheet tool. So here are my investment accounts as of December 4th, after the stock market closed. I black out parts of my accounts that I don't want to share, like my account numbers and any non-investment accounts. I've got about 2.8 million US dollars of dividend stocks spread across three accounts, with about 1.24 million in my IRA retirement account, 1.39 million in my taxable account, and 170k in my wife's retirement account. The dividends from my taxable account come at a low overall tax rate because I don't have job income, although I do have some social media income. But almost all my taxable account dividends are qualified, though I do have one small position that pays ordinary dividends, and I have one large position that's an MLP whose distributions are return of capital, thus I don't have to pay any tax on its dividends for at least a decade. But the dividends I withdraw from my retirement accounts are taxed as ordinary income, since I'm doing early distributions before age 59 and a half, they also get a 10% tax penalty. I've thought about doing a 72T, which lets you withdraw from retirement accounts without paying a penalty tax even if you're under the normal retirement age, but doing that is a process that forces taking substantially equal periodic payments for a long time, and I'm not sure I want to commit to doing that yet. Anyway, here are the tickers in my IRA account sorted alphabetically, and you can screenshot it if you want as I won't go over each ticker in this section, as it's more useful to review all my tickers in my spreadsheet. On the bottom you can see that this account has $1.24 million of dividend stocks, and Fidelity estimates that they yield about $57,000 a year in dividends. Like you can see that I have 247 shares of AbbVie worth 35 grand in this account, and that represents 2.8% of my IRA, and Fidelity says that my IRA AbbVie position yields $1,531 a year in dividends. Then you see I hold BTI, Caterpillar, Colgate Palmolive, etc. Note I took this screenshot before I recorded this audio, and on the day I'm recording some news came out on BTI which caused the stock to fall 8.5%. Specifically their CEO cut the value they attributed to some of their US brands, which means those brands may potentially be worthless in 30 years. I'm talking about Newport and Camel and those that came with their Reynolds American acquisition in 2017. Apparently they had 80 billion on their balance sheet tied to their US brands, and so now they're taking a 31.5 billion non-cash impairment charge to account for their estimated lowered brand values, and they'll start amortizing the remaining value of those US brands in 2024. They also gave a guidance update on their revenue growth, being only in the 3% range. So am I worried about them? Well, I'm no more worried than I was before I saw that announcement, because the business itself hasn't really changed. I mean, they still make lots of cash, and this accounting move shouldn't impact their ability to pay the dividend, and I personally had guesstimated a 20-year life ahead of them, so 30 is actually better than I anticipated. Now, that doesn't mean their dividend is guaranteed, and if they cut their dividend, then I would most likely move into something else. But the big risks they faced that existed before this announcement are still the risks I'm concerned about, which are the declining volume of people who utilize their products, coupled with rising regulations that hamper the long-term viability. Since stocks like BTI are trying to pivot into what they call less unhealthy products like vaping and maybe cannabis, and we're seeing more young people head in that direction, though of course we'll also get more anti-vaping regulations. 
BTI did say that its newer products will break even years ahead of schedule, and its vape business is growing, along with its oral nicotine product, but it still faces a ton of challenges in the future. Like right now, it's trying to catch up to where Philip Morris is with their heated tobacco line. I mean, PM estimates that they can get 66% of their revenue coming from smoke-free products by 2030, whereas BTI only anticipates 50% by 2035. Bottom line, if BTI's profitability goes up in smoke, then so will the dividend, but for now I'm not seeing that happen. And if I was in a sin stock buying mode right now, then the announcement would be an opportunity to get shares cheaper. But hey, I can't see the future any better than you, so I wouldn't hold just because I am. My risk tolerances are my own, and you gotta do what makes sense for you, and I'd definitely not hold them if I was young and trying to grow my portfolio. I personally moderate my SIN stock ownership to a relatively small portion of my overall portfolio, and even if MO, PM, and BTI all went to zero, my portfolio would still be fine, though my income would obviously take a hit. One small potential positive of this change for BTI should be that their returns on equity going forward become better since they'll be at a smaller base, and doing this accounting change may have some positive tax implications, but I don't understand taxes enough to be sure on that one. Now a bit of positive news for tobacco sin stocks that is worth sharing just dropped about a week ago and I'm talking about this article that came out that says that New Zealand's new government plans to roll back the cigarette ban they had put in place. As a reminder, what happened was that last December, New Zealand adopted an anti-tobacco policy aimed at phasing out cigarettes. What they did was ban sales of tobacco products to anyone born after 2008, along with they limited the amount of addictive nicotine in cigarettes and they cut the number of tobacco retailers from 6,000 to 600. Effectively, that would grandfather existing smokers in, but stop all the new ones, so anyone born after 2009 wouldn't be allowed to legally purchase cigarettes in New Zealand. So that's a pretty big deal for a country to effectively ban cigarettes, and then another domino fell when England came out proposing a similar ban, which would phase out smoking there by 2030. But why did New Zealand's government just do an about-face? I mean, they originally said that banning smoking would bring large economic gains to New Zealand in the long run, both by preventing healthcare costs and by boosting earnings from people who'd avoid premature death and chronic disease. So with all those positive effects, why are they backtracking? Well, it looks like they realized that the cigarette taxes they would lose out on aren't easily replaced. Taxes which help do things like pave the roads, fix bridges, pay for police, etc. And please don't take that as me glorifying smoking. Plus, some folks in their government realized that banning tobacco would have a nasty side effects, such as fueling a black market of cigarette sales, along with would encourage more theft, especially from generations that might eventually be told that they can't buy a product that others around them are buying. And then to add more positive news for you Evilson stock owners, well here's an article that dropped yesterday from the Washington Post that says Biden's ban on menthol cigarettes is going to be delayed amid political concerns. Basically, the current administration was planning to ban menthol cigarettes, but now it's second-guessing that after fierce lobbying from critics who warned that a prohibition could anger some black smokers who favor the products and could hurt President Biden's re-election prospects. Anyway, I don't want to derail things too much, but a few of you were asking about my take on BTI, so I thought I'd quickly share that update. And moving on, looking down a bit in my IRA, we see that my largest position in here is Realty Income Ticker O, where I have 151 grand of it and it yields $8,355 a year in this account. And in my spreadsheet, you'll see that in total, I have about 198 grand of Realty Income across my three accounts. And in total, my O position yields about $11,000 a year in dividends or $912 a month. I have a goal to get that to $1,000 a month as I like that nice round number and I calculate that Realty Income is cheap right now so I've started reinvesting 20% of its dividends each month into itself whereas all my single stocks I just spend those dividends. Note I'm in retirement now because of my dividends pay all my bills but before that I was dripping my dividends for decades. I'm actually also reinvesting 20% of each of my dividend ETFs into themselves as well. So like I have SCHD, Devo, and JEPQ in my IRA each worth over 100 grand so they are slowly DCAing into themselves. I find it really cool that after making deposits into my retirement accounts for so long, I finally got to the point that I'm withdrawing dividends to pay all my family's bills. My portfolios feel like ATMs of free cash that never run out and keep growing on their own, 
even though I know it took a ton of my work building my cash trees to get to this point, and it's something that I believe will yield fruit for generations of my family. I actually did a video called The Dividend Fallacy, Why Dividends Are Not Free Money that I recommend you watch, but even if they aren't free money, they truly feel that way. Bottom line, it means the world to me that my portfolios should be able to provide for my family and my future descendants long after I'm gone, enabling them to all have a much greater sense of financial security than I ever had. I've had periods in my life where I lost a job and got depressed, worried about being able to make it on my own. And sure, those times acted as incentive for me to work hard and eventually I got to where I am now, but I'd rather my descendants never feel those same pressures to the extent that I did. Yes, I know it risked them becoming complacent or lazy or whatever, so I put my energies into teaching my kids about the reward of hard work while trying to ensure that they never feel completely screwed like I did. Moving on, next after my IRA is my taxable account worth almost $1.39 million and Fidelity estimates my taxable yields about $60,000 a year in dividends. Again, you can see that one of my tickers is AbbVie in this account, where I have 416 shares worth about 60 grand and which generates almost $2,600 a year of dividend income. My largest position in my taxable account is Microsoft, where I own almost 140 grand of it, but it only yields about 1100 bucks a year. Microsoft is probably my favorite long-term stock out there, broadly speaking, but I hold it mostly for its growth potential because its pure dividend yield is weak. So if I ever needed more passive income generation, then I'd probably trim my Microsoft position, though I'd never recommend doing that for a young person who is trying to grow their portfolio, but it's something I'd be fine with for a retiree like myself. Some other large positions I have in my tax will include my MLP, which is Enterprise Products Partners, and then Johnson & Johnson and Altria. My smallest position in my tax will is Realty Income, a ticker which I recommend people keep in their retirement accounts, which is where most of my Realty Income is, but I started a small position in my taxable account, both for research purposes and because it's so cheap that I wanted the option to grow it in my taxable, even though its taxation isn't as good as qualified dividends are. Okay, and moving on, my last account at Fidelity is my wife's retirement account that I manage and it's worth almost 171 grand and it yields about 7,500 bucks a year. Again, in this account, you'll see I hold an AbbVie position worth almost 39 grand, plus you'll see about 41 grand of realty income, along with there's some other new tickers I don't hold in any other accounts, like Toronto Dominion Bank, which I'd only hold in an IRA since they don't want to deal with Canadian dividend withholding taxation. So in total, Fidelity estimates my yearly dividend income is 57 grand, plus 60 grand, plus 7,500 bucks, which adds up to $124,500 a year. In a moment, you'll see that my spreadsheet estimates my annual dividend income is at $125,000 a year because I more accurately include changing currency fluctuations of my two non-US stocks in BTI and TD, as well as I use trailing 12-month payouts for dividend ETFs. And that's why my new annual record is $125,000 a year in dividend income. In terms of my daily dividend record, we'll take a look at this Fidelity Activity Log for November 15, 2022 of dividends received. So on the single day in November, I got $586 of AbbVie in my taxable account and $379 of AbbVie in my rollover account and $348 of AbbVie in my IRA. And then I got $1,512 of BTI in my taxable and some BTI in my IRA in my rollover. Then I got Colgate Palmolive dividends and some realty income dividends and some Procter & Gamble dividends, all of which equaled $4,565 in one day, net of fees I paid on BTI since it's an ADR. Pretty sweet to almost make five grand passively in one day from doing nothing, I must say. And then my record for most dividends in a week actually happens next week, and this section of my spreadsheet shows you what I mean. I took this screenshot on Monday, December 4th, and I plan to release this video on Saturday, December 9th, so next week for me will be Sunday the 10th through Saturday the 16th. Looking at my spreadsheet, it tells me that I'll be getting about $912 from Realty Income next week, plus $1,738 from SCHD, plus $280 from Microsoft, plus $1,145 from ExxonMobil, plus $685 from McDonald's, plus $766 from Coke, plus $759 from Chevron, and finally $209 from Home Depot for a new weekly record of about $6,500 of dividends. And note, that is actually a bit low of an estimate because after I wrote that, I saw that SCHD announced their December distribution, and I tweeted that it looked like SCHD is paying out at 
0.7423 per share. I also tweeted that SCHD's trailing 12 months was $2.658, which means in 2023 they did a 3.8% raise versus last year. And if you like seeing stuff like that tweet, then I recommend you follow me at GenXDividend on X. Moving on, at the bottom of the screen you can see that my annual dividends are indeed 125 grand a year. And then this is the view of what dividends I should get paid in the next 6 months. This shows that my new monthly dividend record is happening this month in December. Specifically, I'll get $11,830 in dividends this month, and then in January I'll get around $9,400 in dividends, then a little over ten grand in February, and then those three amounts repeat going forward since most of my dividends pay out every three months. And those future amounts will probably go up, because each month I'm reinvesting some of my dividends as I previously mentioned, and because my tickers tend to raise their dividend at least once a year. Like Chevron already announced that they plan to increase their dividend by 8% in January, so the $759 that's currently listed in the spreadsheet for December and March should go up to $820 a quarter starting in March. And think how cool that is. I mean, I did nothing and my Chevron payout goes up 60 bucks a quarter. And before you leave me a comment saying that dividends are useless or that they're the same as just selling shares, well you're wrong and you can watch my video called Why Dividends Are Better Than Just Selling Shares to at least understand my perspective. Okay, let's quickly take a look at my tickers sorted from my largest position to my smallest. And before you leave me a comment telling me I could be making way more money or safer money if I invested in other things, I encourage you to pause and reflect on why I've not done that. Maybe because I don't want to deal with getting a big capital gains hit in my taxable account? Maybe it's because my risk tolerance is different than yours and maybe I have different goals than you. Maybe I hold some low yield tickers because I like how they give my portfolio more growth potential. Maybe I've seen that over the long run the market returns about 10% a year and timing the market going into cash and back into the market tends not to work out. Anyway, here are my first 14 of 28 tickers, and watch my other videos where I explain what the color codings are all about. Okay, so ticker O, aka Realty Income, is my largest position right now, and I own almost 200 grand of it. On this part of my spreadsheet, I also have a column for the dividend yield of each ticker, along with their 3-year dividend CAGR. After O, my next largest position is SCHD, then Altria, J&J, Microsoft, AbbVie, Pepsi, EPD, JetQ, Devo, ExxonMobil, McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, and then Duke Energy. You can see I have about 100 grand of Duke and it's generating around 4400 bucks a year for me. I sometimes find people who copy my portfolio, so I did an entire video called Why You Shouldn't Copy a YouTuber's Dividend Portfolio in hopes to discourage people from blindly copying me. I mean most of you are younger folks trying to grow your portfolios, so I'd not own companies like Duke if you're going for stock appreciation. Utilities are usually better for folks who want an equity income source, but they aren't ideal for people who want growth potential. And as a young person, I'd stay away from covered call ETFs, as they'll most likely underperform over the long run, and I'd stay away from higher yield things like sin stocks and probably oil stocks as well. And I always say this, but probably the best bet is to forget single stocks and just go with an ETF like VTI. But if you like single stocks, I definitely would invest in non-dividend stocks as well if I were young, as I wouldn't want to miss out on Google or Amazon or Tesla. My guess is that my dividend portfolio will probably lose less in bear markets, but will also gain less in bull markets. Now I'm at a point where I want less volatility, but I also want some growth potential, and I need passive income. Okay, and then here are my last 14 tickers, still sorted by size of each position. We see I have Coca-Cola, ticker KO, then BTI, Southern Company, Apple, Chevron, Kimberly-Clark, Goldman Sachs, PM, Caterpillar, TD Bank, Home Depot, Starbucks, and Travelers. You can see in total I have over 37,000 shares of stocks, and on the day I took the screenshot my overall portfolio went down 0.02%. My portfolio value was at 2.8 million when I took this, and my portfolio's average weighted yield is 4.46%, and it has a 6.3% dividend CAGR. And then this section is my drip, no drip dividend income estimates year over year. I'll probably end up somewhere between these two lines since I'm reinvesting some dividends, but let's just focus on the smaller no drip line on top. So in this upcoming year, it estimates I'll make 125 grand in dividends. Then next year, I should make 133 grand, then 141 grand two years out, and then 150 grand three years out, assuming my companies continue to hike like they have historically. 
At year eight, I'd be over 200K per year. And if we look even further out, then by year 30, this estimates I'd be making about 780 grand a year in dividends. Granted, there's inflation, but it's still pretty bonkers, even if it's only a quarter of that. And then quickly, here's my portfolio value by sector. So you see that consumer staples is my biggest sector at 16.6% of my portfolio. Then tech is at 12%, energy is at 11.6%, since stocks are 11%, healthcare is 10%, etc. And then on the bottom here, I show my passive income by sector, and I put them both in the screenshot so that you can compare how much of my portfolio is in each sector versus the income it generates. Like 11% of my portfolio is in SIN stocks, but they contribute 21% of my income. Or 11% of my portfolio is in energy stocks, but they yield almost 14% of my income, etc. And then this is my passive income by ticker graph, and you can see that Altria is 11.9%, JetQ is 11%, Realty Income is almost 9%, etc. Okay, now let's move my portfolio behind us and let's talk about the stock market in 2024. My guess, and it's a total guess, is that we'll have a material correction and then we'll basically go sideways for a protracted period of time. I mean, market PEs are high, GDP could be better, earnings aren't that awesome, etc. Now, I obviously don't have a crystal ball and I'm not planning to change any of my investments because I'm a bit bearish, but up or down, I really don't care. If the market does go down, then that just means I'll DCA and grow my realty income and SCHD and such a bit faster. And if you're someone who can't deal with a 50% market drop or whatever, whether it's now or in the future, then I wouldn't invest in stocks to begin with. Or even better, I'd figure out how to get over your fears of a market drop. But hey, I'm just some random dude on YouTube, so let's look at what the professionals on Wall Street think will happen in 2024, starting with the most bearish folks and going into the biggest bulls I saw. For reference, today the SP500 is at 45.67 per seeking alpha. And first up is JP Morgan, who predicts an 8% drop for the SP500 in 2024, so pretty bearish. JP Morgan sees fading post-pandemic tailwinds, plus they see building monetary headwinds and dwindling fiscal offsets that should all contribute to low growth, and they project real GDP to expand only 0.7% in the coming year. That being said, I found a different JP Morgan analyst who was even more bearish and who predicted a 23% decline in the SP500 by mid-2024. Next up, we have Morgan Stanley, who predicts the SP500 goes basically sideways, ending at 4500, and you can read their reasons in this summary section if you feel so inclined. Wells Fargo is also in the sideways camp, with a 4625 SP500 estimate. Then we see some bullish sentiment from Goldman Sachs, who estimates a 3% uptick in the SP500, taking us to 4700. Then Society Generale ups them with a 4750 estimate. Barclays is even more bullish with a 4800 target, or about 5% up from here. Bank of America and RBC are both even more bullish with a 5,000 target, which is a nice 9.5% up from here. And even bigger bulls are Deutsche Bank and Bank of Montreal with a 5,100 estimate, which is 11.7% higher than we are today. And finally, the most bullish analysts I heard of were from Capital Economics with their 5,500 estimate, which is 12% higher than today. I guess they feel like gains are still in early stages and the AI will keep pushing things up. So the majority seem pretty bullish if I had to estimate. Now, I share all those estimates to kind of highlight how no one knows what the future will bring, especially short time frames like a year out. No one knows, and if they did know, there'd be a quadrillionaire, and instead all we can do is make educated guesses. And while estimates are interesting, I'm not sure how useful they really are. But what is useful is to figure out how to consistently invest in stuff that aligns to your needs and time frames and risk tolerances, and it's useful to guard against emotional investing. Wealth is created by maintaining a level head and not letting your fears and emotions drive your actions. So maybe we go down, maybe we go up. Either way, I'll just keep holding and slowly buying, and I'll keep getting paid to hold my dividend stocks stress-free. Oh, and I did want to show you this chart that shows the percentage of SP500 companies paying a dividend from 1980 until now. Back in 1980, we see that over 90% of SP500 paid dividends, but then things fell down to a low point in the dot-com crash where only 70% of the SP500 did, and then today about 80% of the SP500 pays a dividend. 
My point in sharing that graph is for the dividend haters out there who think dividends are irrelevant or useless. Do you really think that 80% of the best business minds in the largest US companies in the world would be doing something that's useless or irrelevant? It doesn't matter to me what you think. I just hope you invest intelligently and realize the potential for true passive income. And if you hate dividends, then I feel bad for you as you're missing out on something amazing. But I'll just stay retired, letting my dividends pay all my family's bills. And you can do your thing and I wish you the best. Speaking of retirement, someone recently asked me where my family gets its health benefits from, and the answer is that I buy all of our medical and dental insurance from the public exchanges using our dividends, and I'm super grateful that insurance can no longer decline covering me due to my pre-existing conditions. My wife's part-time job doesn't pay benefits to our family, unfortunately, and like I previously said, my wife doesn't need to work, but she loves getting to talk to her coworkers and customers, so she hopes to work until she croaks. She's one of those fortunate people who loves going to work, something I rarely felt, which is why she wants to keep doing it even though we don't need the income. It's kind of like how I love doing YouTube videos and I appreciate the fact that I'm teaching my kids how to start an online business from scratch, even though I don't need the social media income to pay the bills. And with that, I'd like to close things off, so if you appreciated this video, then please show your support by hitting the thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. Now, I'd normally shout out my newest Patreon aristocrat and king signups, but I'm still all sold out. So instead, I'll recommend you check out my Seeking Alpha affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often has a new user signup bonus. I'm now sponsored by Seeking Alpha, but before that I used to pay for their premium membership because I valued their stock articles and associated comments so much, to the point that I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first seeing what Seeking Alpha had on it. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 11,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor, and my videos are for entertainment and inspirational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinions with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.